On this episode of Reliterated, we're headed back to the chocolate factory with Willy Wonka and his newly appointed heir, Charlie Bucket, on an adventure full of geriatric hysterics, culturally insensitive knock-knock jokes, and even more reckless Oompa Loompa endangerment. So grab your snozberries and stop your gobs. It's time to get vermicious with Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator on Reliterated, the podcast that will watch you whip, but don't expect it to watch you nay-nay. Welcome to Realliterated, the lowbrow book club of three grown-ass men reading the children's books popular in the 1990s, but with 2020's hindsight. Fair warning, we use language too mature for kids, analysis too immature for literary scholars, and ignorance too profound to be inoffensive to everyone. We also talk about our books in depth, and that includes spoilers. So before you listen, if you're not familiar with the story, prepare to be spoiled. My name's Andy. I am Harold. And I'm Josh. And we're here to kick off a brand new chapter of sequels. 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 The sequels chapter, it was foreshadowed in a cliffhanger episode during the second second chapter, I think. Yeah, something like that. I mean, we foreshadowed this episode at the end of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, where we talked about coming back to do Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator, and here the fuck we are. We are doing Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator. We have revisited <laughs> the evil man, Raul Dahl, to see his whimsical, beautiful book. The, <laughs> steaming, the steaming pile of shit known as Raul Dahl, yes. <laughs> the trashiest piece of trash that ever fought for the Allies in World War II. I mean, we're not positive, but he's up there. He's definitely up there. So, <laughs> Oh, the women he seduced for God and country. <laughs> in his line as a super spy look it up <laughs> and see while while doing research for this episode there are a lot of videos and none of them talk about how just of terrible of a person he was they don't go they don't talk about it at all well yeah because they want to wash that part out of it because he's long gone and his his works are i mean i i agree with you that people should know but I find that when you tell people something awful about a person that they love, (laughs) they tend not to care. This is true. He has written a lot of favorites, a lot of childhood favorites. Yeah. I mean, I remember reading this book when I was younger, but I don't know that it was popular among kids to read. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, I read through school, Mm -hmm. but The Great Glass Elevator, I know I looked to get that book because I wanted to see the rest of the story. Right, and I remember it back then being a big old pile of nothing and (laughs) kind of turned out to be somewhat of a pile of nothing in today's world. Yeah, I didn't remember anything about it. And even while reading it this time, it never at any point did anything click like, oh, yeah, the only, nope, the uh, Vermicious <laughs> Canids. When I heard that name, I had heard that before. And I knew that either I heard it here or somebody else had said it, but I don't know why anybody else would be referencing Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I read it as a child. I remember reading Charlie and the Chalk Factory and a bunch of the other ones, BFG, uh, The Twits, again, was one of the first books I read, like chapter books I read as a as a child. But I do not remember reading this, wanting to read this or anything and like that. I cannot even tell you like if any character like has an arc in this book, like 
what lessons are Israel Dahl trying to say? I mean, we should probably get into it and we can summarize the book in like less than 30 seconds of what actually takes place. Yeah, we can we can easily do that. I, I felt there were lessons, but yes, uh, a quick summary of the story would be at the end of the last book, we remember that the grandparents and everybody, the parents, Charlie, Grandpa Joe, and Wonka were all in the Great Glass Elevator and they were taken off going up. This one starts with them still going up. Of course, something goes amiss. They end up in orbit. Uh, apparently, there is a space hotel. They dock with the space hotel. When they get up there, there's an alien force on there. They have a back and forth, or alien creatures. They go have a back and forth with the president. Uh, on their way back, they save some people uh, from the hotel, and they burn up all these creatures in the atmosphere. And when they get back, the grandparents don't want to get out of bed because they're too old. So Willy Wonka gives them some vitamins that make them young. But of course, they are greedy and end up taking too much. And they end up, uh, Wonka and Charlie have to figure out a way to bring them back. And of course, it goes back and forth and they end up in different ages. And at the end of the day, uh, all the grandparents are back to their normal ages and they go to meet the president because they defeated the canids, the, the creatures, and the grandparents don't want to get up until that happens. And then suddenly they're able to jump out of bed in the same way. Meeting the president for the rest of the grandparents was going to the chocolate factory for Miss uh, Grandpa Joe. They hopped up, got dressed, and went to meet the president. Bob's your uncle. That's the end of Which it. Which is sad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> let's talk about that when we get to the end of the book but yeah that's oh, for sure sad. <laughs> but that, that's that's the book in a nutshell i mean that's a story yeah that, elevator that, that goes up place. elevator goes down wonka wants to put the old people to work so it makes them young but uh-oh they got too young better make them old again they get old again and the president's like hey thank you yep and the, the end. story <laughs> and there was supposed to be a third book called charlie Goes to the White in House. In the White House. Charlie goes to the White House. Charlie yeah, something goes like that. to the White House. That was going to be one book three. chapter of that was written, and it is uh, viewable at a museum, a Roald Dahl museum. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. Is it viewable so, online anywhere? No, can, I, I don't know. You can kind of find sure it. You, you can find snippets of it, and it's very basic. It's just, it basically is just, hey, they're at the White House, the president's here, and here are some of the people that you're meeting, and it's just a list of crazy names. And, mm-hmm. of, it's whoa, 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 back Dahl. up, back up. We, we glossed over this. Roald Dahl has a museum? He has oh, a yes. museum and, and reading center. <laughs> yeah. Okay. They gave Roald Dahl a museum. Okay. All right. They give lots right. of people museums. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> Lots of people get museums. I want a museum. Then, I don't know what's going to go in it, but build it. Fucking, yeah. fucking Andy Harrington Museum. Let's go. Right? It belongs in a museum. <laughs> mm. I don't know what they're going to put in there. <laughs> so to me, this was actually two stories in one book because there was the story of going to space and there was the story of the grandparents uh, messing with their ages. Two distinct things they had nothing to to do with each other. Right. And I was like, why did they smash them into two? They they easily could have made this into um into another story. But it was such a short book. It, w- it wound up being like yeah, even even with with those two stories, it was a short book. There's not a lot of actual story to it. There's a lot of description. Like the canids are very. You can picture the canids because of how they're they're described. They're egg shaped. And they have these 
red eyes and and like the description of the hotel was really pretty good but at the same time that was another trippy thing so the hotel was owned by the u.s government that's not how it works (laughs) all right let's go through this book sequentially okay yeah yeah yeah. so (laughs) the whole like when they get up into orbit and that's the first time that the parent the grandparents get out of bed right because they get floated out of bed Right, they and, get into zero gravity because, yep. uh, and they just bitch reason. the entire time. Oh, they bitch! Yeah, they constantly <laughs> complain, and then and then Wonka tells them that they can't swim through the air because the air is too thin, so they need to blow. So they're teaching them how to blow, and he <laughs> he says that the one grandparent blew like a rhinoceros <laughs> to get herself around the room or whatever. So I wanted to get into why they're in space in the first place. And Wonka just took the elevator like way, way up because he wanted to punch another hole in in the factory. Uh, but why though? He says two holes are better than one. Um, I don't know. You guys agree? Two holes better than one it adds variety, right? Skylights, man. I mean, skylights. Natural light. Yes. I mean, it's not his factory anymore. I guess it's Charlie's factory. So. Whatever, let's put another fucking hole in the in the roof. But well, it, I think that the idea is they need a hole to get back in, and it's only logic that Wonka can understand because clearly they could just go back in the hole that's already there. Yeah, and I guess that is the out hole. They need an in hole, right? Right, right. Yeah, but in uh, Wonka's mind, they need to go up far enough to get enough velocity to uh, actually punch through the the roof with the the glass elevator. And this has got to be a sturdy ass <laughs> glass elevator of how how high they actually took it, because he needs like a um, precise button press to actually drop the the elevator down from near orbit to get enough speed. And I wonder just how much damage a uh, like an elevator that heavy would do if dropped from the upper reaches of the atmosphere. And I put out a question on my Facebook to all my friends because I do have a couple of physicists out there. Uh, it's, it's one that's a, and basically what they said was that well they're they're going to have like terminal they're going to reach terminal velocity and it's going to depend on um, the friction. It's going to depend on the makeup of the elevator. Um, more more than likely, like the elevator is just going to turn into a molten blob of of glass. <laughs> Um, and I wanted to read one in particular. All right. My friend Andrew Strobe says the earth keeps pulling. The strength of the gravitational force varies with the square of distance and causes things to accelerate back towards earth's center of gravity. A useful concept here is the escape velocity. Think of this as if you fired something like a bullet, how fast would it have to be going to break free of earth's gravity and not come falling back down with the pull? The escape velocity for earth is about 11.2 kilometers per second. This is almost 25,000 miles per hour. Let's say you were shooting out of Earth's atmosphere at a mere 24,000 miles per hour. You would get some distance from Earth, but gravity wins in this scenario. You would eventually start falling back to Earth. By the time you reach Earth's atmosphere again, you would be falling at nearly the speed you left atmosphere at. This is part of why reentry craft have exotic materials as heat shielding. The friction for even the air at such speeds can cause temperatures of around 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Granted, the air resistance will also slow you down somewhat, but not enough to save the inhabitants of that elevator. With real physics, their fate will be short and bleak. 
And that is very true. And I believe even in the book, uh, there's a there's a point where Wonka explains re-entering the atmosphere and how they do it with the retro rockets. But the glass elevator, this elevator, is not made of glass like we think of glass, clearly. Because mm-hmm. later in the book, he says that it's crush-proof, fire-proof, melt-proof. It's... It's impossible to destroy. <laughs> he's clearly got some engineering stuff yes. yeah, to this elevator where he's taken that into account. But even with that, he does say that when entering the Earth, he needs to use retro rockets when entering the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And they do when they eventually do re-enter the atmosphere. Yep. So I was wondering if like the elevator would like, cause a big old crater, <laughs> like knock out a whole neighborhood block, maybe even bring down the, the factory itself. I think it just wound up doing exactly what Wonka thought it would. When it comes back, though, it really it comes back and does break a hole in the roof, though. Basically, nicely as Wonka was expecting. <laughs> right, and doesn't create a crater. So, obviously, your physicist friends were wrong, is all. <laughs> Willy Wonka has thought of everything. Yeah. <laughs> they just don't understand what he does about it. <laughs> yeah, you just got to understand Willy Wonka. Yeah. Didn't uh, they went into orbit though because they were busy arguing about something and he missed the button press? Yeah, Grandma Georgina grabs onto him. Okay, yeah, yep. She can't get out of the bed, but she can grab onto Wonka when they're trying to do a very precise maneuver with a glass elevator that no one understands, but the man who's flying it. (laughs) But it turns out it was a good thing because then they go into space. Yep, and they see the space hotel. It's Luxury Space Hotel, which is, again, owned by the U.S. government? Yeah, that was a strange one. But, I mean, in that time, you would think, like, so 1972 is when this book came out. He would have been writing it during the space race and everything. So, The moon landing was 69, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they were still going up there for a couple years. It was still... The the governments were still pouring money into it for a few years after that, but then it died out because no one cared anymore. Like people are always like, "Why didn't we go back to the moon?" We did. We went back to the moon like five times, or (laughs) it was five or six times. It wasn't as attention grabbing as the first. No, because the first one was amazing, but all the other ones, no one really cared. They were up there. They collected samples. They came back, Mm -hmm. and we already won that race. Well, no, we we not, we didn't win the space race. No, we we won the, the race s- to the moon. To but the moon. Race to the everything moon. else was done by the cosmonauts. Yeah. First to Mars, cosmonauts. First to Venus, cosmonauts. First to Mercury, cosmonauts. First man in space, <laughs> cosmonaut. First woman in space, cosmonauts. <laughs> we didn't win the race. We won the race to the moon. That was it. The most important race. Sure. Obviously, because Obviously. we won it. USA, I'm- USA, USA. Yeah, it was a marathon, not a sprint, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> right? And we did the one that matters. We did the leg of the race that matters. Yep, we put a flag up there, so we own the moon now. That's the thing. First thing in True. space, Sputnik. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, America owns the moon, not according to first grade Andy, who put the Soviet <laughs> logo on the moon flag. Yes, Crazy comrade. Crazy bastard. <laughs> So, yeah, so the Space Hotel, which is owned by the U.S. government, is unoccupied at the time. They're basically, I'm not sure they, if it's owned by the U.S. government. It's just Space Hotel USA. Like some, It's it's definitely American-owned or created or whatever. The president is seriously concerned about it, though. I mean, the pre- it isn't well, the yeah, hotel it's a big owner. Deal. It's the president that is, is 
immediately called in and they're talking there's military people up there i think it is owned by the u.s government it is owned by the u.s government because then they're like well who who are these terrorists that are on that are in my hotel and so first they call all the countries and are super racist especially towards china uh (laughs) but (laughs) then after that they call all the other hotel owners and they're all like nope it's not us so obviously it is owned by the government yeah yeah that's that was the idea i got from it It was definitely owned by the government they're the only ones who would have the money to put a hotel in space in 1972 (laughs) let's be real here let's fill in a couple details here there's a there's like a spacecraft going up carrying the staff of this hotel because it's Um, unstaffed at this time it's unstaffed so far, yeah, and the whole staff was coming to give it this grand opening, uh, which they picked to be the same day as the uh, Willy Wonka factory contest day. This is still the same day. Yeah, it's, it mm-hmm. hasn't even ended yet. February 1st, I guess. Um, but yeah, there's there's mission to staff the, the hotel. Yeah, and Wonka and the, and the family get there before those commuters get there. And at this point is when they're trying to figure out who's the government's trying to figure out who's on the hotel. And so they try to talk to him and they answer back and Wonk is talking in this like zink zonka doom bow. <laughs> it's <laughs> very strange. And I don't understand why, because he could just be like, hey, listen, crazy thing. But instead, he wants to make it really complicated. So they've decided it's not China after like, seriously though, that there was a joke that was made at one point that stuck with me because it was so wrong. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's going on about China and he's making the, uh, his chief of staff or whatever is talking about the Chinese phone book and wings and wongs and they play with it like that. It was just. I remember the time when that that was like normal for those jokes to be around. So it's it's difficult for me because yeah, Roald Dahl overall was a piece of crap, but at the same time, I can watch a movie from 1972 and I'm gonna get that same kind of joke. Mm-hmm. It's a very popular thing to do. Yes, basis of a lot of humor. It's mostly puns. I mean, you got Premier Yukatov from Russia. <laughs> uh. There's a lot of knock-knock jokes for some reason coming from the president. Right. The president was a real dummy. Yeah, and his <laughs> nanny was the vice president. Yeah, that was funny. That was weird. At least he was forward-thinking enough to have a female vice president. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> but it, it was his nanny. The elderly nanny of the president. <laughs> <laughs> and she seemed to keep everybody in line, like all the other people that were helping that were helping the president all seemed to be children too almost yeah she was running the room well they were just yes men like the head of the army just wanted to blow up everybody he was like yeah that that mattress is that bed's a bomb that's what's going on in the hotel and so we need to blow it up uh yeah and the president by the way is named um lancelot r gillegrass so it's not uh nixon who would have been uh president in 1972 when the book was published and probably not based on lbj who was president before nixon so it's very much uh, some sort of caricature of i guess Roald doll's impression of americans yeah no he's definitely trying to say that that's that's kind of like what we are like, how dare Roald Dahl insinuate that we're a bunch of over-the-top, ridiculous 
people who just want to blow things up. We ought to nuke that guy from orbit. We should take him to that place in Minnesota where you can drive a tank. (laughs) (laughs) We'll invite the corpse of Roald Dahl to Minnesota. Hey, let's go drive a tank. Oh, hey there. Let's go up there to the <laughs> to Minnesota. So, <laughs> so how's that different from how the treatment of Chinese and Russians there with that accent? Because they're white. <laughs> <laughs> I'm making fun of white people from the Midwest. I am from That's there. That's not true. It's okay. I guarantee. I guarantee you, there are people of different shades that have that accent in Minnesota. I hope so. <laughs> and I guarantee our Minnesotan listeners will take offense to. That caricature of their accent you did there. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It's going to be a big deal. Oh, it just sounds just like the Uper accent. You can't they, get they, mad at they that. They might get mildly cross at you, don't you know? Oh. <laughs> so they, they, they meet these, the, the creatures that are in this are called vermicious canids. And I don't know why I remember that. I don't know if it's because I read this book, because I, I did read this book when I was younger. But, I did too, yeah. Um, or if I have heard Vermicious Canids somewhere else before. Uh, actually, it's possible the name appeared in the first book or maybe in a movie. Maybe it did. I don't know. But the hotel actually is infested with Vermicious Canids. Yeah. They, they and- think that these <laughs> that uh, Wonka and company are aliens uh, coming out to the hotel, but the hotel actually already has aliens on it. Yes, and the aliens that are there, yeah, they, uh, yeah, the president thinks that they're Martians, but it's actually there are vermicious canids, and these things they look like eggs. It, they, he describes them as upside down eggs standing on their head, and uh, where the wider part is up at the top and the thinner at the bottom, and then they have these two red eyes, and they're like greenish brown and. Sl- Kind of not slimy, but slimy, Uh, you know, scaly, not, yeah. And uh, these things start stretching out, and Wonka explains that they can stretch as thin as they want or be as thick, and they're like a giant muscle. And I I liked how they described it as um, rubber and putty with metal wire in there is how there's what their strength is like. And all these things stretch out into shapes. And as he's describing the shapes as it's going, it turns out to be the word scram. And Wonka starts yelling, scram, scram, and they take off. And they get back in the elevator and get out of there. And uh, they're like, what's... He's like, oh, yeah, they're really uh, proud of their ability to spell. And he's like, why did they say scram if they wanted to catch us? And that's the only word they know how to spell. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I like that. Uh, but they're like, they just kind of nope out of there. They're like, okay, we're going to, we're leaving now. <laughs> they're leaving mentioned in the 1971 film. Ah, okay. They're mentioned in the film. Oh, okay. But Willy Wonka is familiar with Remicious Canids. Yes. And so he, he knows what the stakes are. So he's trying to get everybody back to the elevator. We're taking off. We're leaving right now. Yep. So after they leave, the other... Space pe- the people that are out in space, they've been watching them and following them, trying to figure out what's going on. And so they see him leave. So they're like, okay. So they go to go on, and people straight up get eaten. <laughs> yeah, people get eaten in this book. I thought that was crazy. And then the canids do <laughs> this whole true. thing where it's like they're trying to they're trying to come to Earth and they're trying to catch on to the commuters. They end up going back and grabbing those those commuters and everything. Yeah, they tow them back to Earth. 
Yeah, some of the descriptions of what the Canids were and how they how they killed, like uh, he said, they eat people or they eat anything or whatever. And the Grandma Georgina or Josephine, whichever one, says, "Well, how do they eat? I didn't see their mouths." And he goes, "Well, they meet. They have other. Th- they eat with other things than mouths." And then when she's like, <laughs> "Like what?" He goes, "Well, we're out of time on that one. Let's move on to something else." <laughs> <laughs> he does pull that whole. Uh, verbal trickery or whatever on uh, on people trying to talk to him. Yeah, the, asking tough questions. I must be deaf. Yep. Just changes the subject quickly. I get deafer and deafer. <laughs> but they do end up saving the people. And uh, earlier he says that the reason that Vermicious Canids, what they've done is they they go to that space station, they go all over the the universe, and they eat everything on a planet. The moon used to have an alien race on it, but the Vermicious Canids ate them. As did Mars and Venus. As as did Mars and Venus. The reason they haven't come to Earth is because they can't get through our atmosphere, and they burn up on the entry. And so... He says that shooting stars are really vermicious canids burning up in the atmosphere. Shooting canids. They're actually shooting canids. Grandma Georgina says that's crazy, and he says... Who knows, by the end of the day, you might see it yourself. And then, of course, at the end of the day, they rescue the commuters and they get attached to by the canids. And he ends up dragging the canids into the atmosphere and he burns them all up. So that was, that was, uh, of course, an interesting way to take them out. That was the big rescue. Yeah, the big rescue. But some people did die. Some people died. Yeah, they were eaten by canids, vermicious canids. Because, like, like, what the the spacecraft got to the hotel and they they got they in had, there. They got in there and they came across the canids. Yep, Some president people. told them it was all good to go in. <laughs> yep, but nope, they got attacked, so mm. they they noped out of there too. They get into the president a little bit here as he's trying to figure everything out, and uh, before he's moving on, he he talks to his vice president, his nanny, and says he wants her to sing him a song first. And now this happens at some point here, um, but uh, the song I thought was funny because it's all talking about how he's an idiot. His parents realized he couldn't read or write. Uh, he couldn't even get a job delivering papers. And then the nanny says, you know what? Uh, he says, okay, okay, I said, let's learn and note the art of politics. Let's teach you how to miss the boat and how to drop some bricks and how to win some people's votes and lots of other tricks. Let's learn to make a speech a day upon the TV screen in which you never say exactly what you mean. And most important, by the way, and not to let your teeth is not to let your teeth decay and keep your fingers clean and now that i am 89 it's too late to repent the fault was mine the little swine became the president but i just liked her description (laughs) of what a politician was or or whatever (laughs) i thought that was that was fun i mean he hit some notes on on some things raul Dahl might have sucked in some of his opinions but he also existed (laughs) at a time when most people's opinions sucked He was probably he. I think it was at his strongest when he was satirizing Americans. Yes, <laughs> this is true. He also includes like songs in in his storytelling, and there's another author out there who includes songs in their storytelling, and that is J.R.R. Tolkien, because he he also has songs that come up uh, just out of nowhere, like the characters sing about uh, sing a song that's pertinence to what's going on shall we say 
And uh, this is how I know you guys have never read Tolkien, or else you would have picked up on this. That's uh, Roald Dahl writes like J.R.R. Tolkien. You know, Andy, um, there's something interesting about literature in general, is that a lot of authors will have sudden breakouts of songs. <laughs> nope, just these two. Just that's those a, two? Just those that's two? All I, that's all <laughs> that I direct, know. <laughs> a direct correlation. What? Who's another one? I don't know off the top of my head, but I'm sure. I am sure. <laughs> Nope, Stephen King. Stephen King. Stephen Stephen King puts songs like that the that the characters make up by themselves and start singing about what's going on. He absolutely does. He does, does it in the Dark he, Tower series. Or does he just oh on the Dark Tower series? Yep. So he's also writing like Tolkien. Mm. Stephen King and J.R.R. Tolkien like that. No, no. Um, Thick as thieves. No, Stephen King writes well for an ADHD brain because he goes, he's so crazy and all over the place. He'll start describing a chestnut. And next thing you know, you're learning about a fucking building over here. And why is this car driving down the road? You're like, what the fuck? What's all happening around me? But anyways, I wanted to bring about that that parallel. It doesn't make J.R.L. Tolkien any better. Elves and dwarves are the Oompa Loompas of of high fantasy <laughs> they are uh they're less problematic because they really don't hurt anybody they all have like cool they're all capable no one questions anything about them you know what i mean even though they're like the hobbits are smaller the dwarves are smaller the different people look all different and that doesn't seem to be the issue you know <laughs> so tolkien is at least much nicer in that respect he was like yeah but you know who never became slaves? Dwarves. Yeah. No, they wouldn't have. They would have just beat the shit out of Wonka. <laughs> beat the shit out of Wonka, yeah. Buried him in a mine somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody enslaves a dwarf. <laughs> but this moves on to, uh, when we get to this point, when they get back to Earth, they start talking about wanting to work in the factory. and uh, Well, Wonka... Asks and almost insists that they they work with Charlie in the factory, and these old people well, are should. like, "Nah, we're not doing that. We're old. We're just gonna <laughs> stay in this bed because yeah. that's what we do. We we lay in this bed." <laughs> Wonka pretty much presumes that they're gonna want to start working in the factory, right? I can't imagine they're gonna be too much work. They're they've got slaves. Exactly. That's why I was like, "Why are they? Why is he forcing the old people to work?" Oh, because right. he just wants everyone to work. Yeah. That's how capitalism works. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, uh, yeah, this was this was a very cautionary part of this book. Uh, there were multiple cautionary tales throughout this uh, section. The, the first was when he had only a certain amount of pills and he could take each pill would take 20 years off a person and make them younger. And the grandparents get very selfish about it. I think it were their 12 pills and each of them, three of them took four apiece. Grandpa Joe didn't take any. And I figure there's probably a way that those 12 pills could have been used to take a decent amount off all the grandparents and like 20 years off each of the parents. Yeah, it was that was the exact amount he gave you. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, Mr. and Mrs. Bucket are still here. <laughs> just hiding yeah. in the background of everything that's happening. Yeah, yeah. They don't really ever get 
involved too much. <laughs> but there's like a couple sentences where they're like, you know, it would be nice to take 20 years off of our lives, honey. Yeah, there was, it was literally like there was a perfect amount to do exactly that. And they, but no, the grandparents the old, got. The, he just showed that the, the greed of the old people. And so one of them becomes a negative number. <laughs> right. Like two years prior to her birth. And so they have to go into this weird like purgatory to get her and Wonka had been there before because at least he didn't let his slaves just die when he was testing it. He went and got them all back. But eh, they are slaves, so would they want to be? <laughs> yeah. I mean, by the seem- way, let's not gloss over like how like the process of inventing uh, Wonkavite here. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> oh, God. Wonkavite is like e- experiment number. What was it like one thirty two or something? Some one hundred and thirty two. In the process of making this uh, final formulation, like one hundred thirty one. Before that, like Wonka would like pass a pill through like a glory hole in the wall to a quote unquote volunteer Oompa Loompa who would just take it just (laughs) without any preamble, knowing what it is. Like there's always like a volunteer Oompa Loompa on duty to take whatever pill passes through that hole in the wall. Yeah. Oompa Loompas are into that. (laughs) They're into pill popping through glory holes, huh? Yeah, I think they don't understand what's going on. <laughs> what if these quote unquote volunteers are actually the criminal Oompa Loompas? Ooh, and that is yeah. their penance, is they have to test out his products. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's, I don't know, it's reading into it. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> See, that's reading into it a bit too far. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit, Josh. Hey, if Harold can do it, so can I. <laughs> There's a B story here. Yes, criminal the B story. Oompa the criminal, the criminal the underground criminal is literally underground because Wonka's factory is underground. <laughs> These are the Squid Game Oopaloopas with e- nothing to lose. Yo, <laughs> <laughs> they'll just take whatever pill comes through that hatch. <laughs> but they do end up getting her back. Uh, but Wonka gives her some spray, and he hits her with too much, and she ends up being like 328 years old. Yeah, she remembers the Mayflower. Right. She remembers going on the Mayflower. <laughs> she retroactively remembers things that by she being did that, not take yeah, part by of. being aged that much, and it was all versed in American history too. Did you notice yes, that? It was. Like, it was. Grandma Georgina is apparently American. I think that the whole group of them is American, at least in the version that we got. Yeah, was there like a English version with like English history that happened in <laughs> those three hundred some years? It was published by two different publishers. It was published by an American publisher and then published later by a British publisher. Right. So I I don't know if there is a change if he changed up who it was. Because she's it, like I don't remembering Plim- uh, the Mayflower and she's remembering Lincoln and the Civil War. Yeah, once oh, they shit. give her the the uh, what was it? Because there was it was basically just the opposite of it was Vita Wonk. Well, no, Wonkavite made someone younger, and yeah, then, then Vita Wonk, yeah, made them older. That's what I was saying. It's like the opposite. Yeah, right. So they so he gave her more 
Wonkavite to bring her back to her original age of 87, I think, or 78. And as she de-aged, she was seeing things happening throughout history. Right. Because she saw Gettysburg, and then she saw... Lincoln gets shot and him on the death train. They had to be careful and like dole out just the right amount. And Wonka actually says something during this whole thing when it's going on. He says, uh, Charlie's like, well, what if something goes wrong? What if we do it wrong? And Wonka goes, well, nothing will go wrong while I'm involved. Well, hasn't he been involved in all of this? Like it may be he's been involved, but he hasn't been in control. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Like all those kids failing, like failing their tests and falling in the traps, whatever has been because of their doings. And he has not controlled them. They were when they do bring up that point with uh, Violet Beauregard when they uh, say, wait a minute, how is this taking of the Vitawonk different from uh, Violet Beauregard chewing that gum and turning into a huge blueberry? It's like, you you must remember, Violet Beauregard took the gum herself with on like without my say so or I when I was I, I warned it. her yes I warned her against it but this is me controlling the dosage of the Vitawonk knowing what it can do so just trust me okay yeah I mean it happens in this story too the only reason that they go into space is because somebody gets in his way right when he was supposed to press the button otherwise they they would have been fine that's true that's very true mm-hmm. so that this this part of the story though does does talk about like medicine and and it tries to be cautionary about medicine and it has this little poem in it that is quite actually long but there is one section of it that was my favorite and is now just my favorite way to describe flatulence and uh gut gut bubbling mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, <laughs> It's this part that goes, inside her tummy, something stirred. A funny gurgling sound was heard. And then, oh dear, from deep within, the ghastly rumbling sounds begin. They rumbulate and roar and boom. They bounce and echo round the room. The floorboards shake and from the wall, some bits of paint and plaster fall. Explosions, whistles, awful bangs (laughs) were followed by the loudest clangs. A man next door was heard to say, a thunderstorm is on the way. (laughs) But on and on the rumbling goes. A window cracks, a lamp, bulb blows. Young Goldie clutched herself and cried there's something wrong with my inside this was we great very greatly fear the understatement of the year for wouldn't any child feel crummy with loud explosions in her tummy i i loved that (laughs) (laughs) and i mean it goes on about what happened was as soon as her grandma went to the store she went and started taking her grandma's pills and her grandma had a constipation problem and all of those pills were laxative but specifically there were these chocolate ones that grandma would only take twice a week because they were so potent that it made her like blow up the toilet well after everything's said and done and she goes to the hospital and she made it through uh, she ended up having problems all through her life because she took this medicine. And I thought, it, you know, it was a cautionary tale for kids. Hey, don't take medicine if you don't know what it is. Even if it's coated in chocolate. Even if it's coated in chocolate. Yeah. So, yeah, I thought that was, but that was, it, that part of it was so fun. The thunderstorm part. I, I actually <laughs> laughed out loud. <laughs> but yeah, they get, they get the, the, grandparents back to their age two of the grandparents were like one was six months old one was a year old and then yeah the one was un under age and they get them all back to their normal <laughs> old old people age and then the, pre- the president shows up 
And then they're like, yeah, we're going to go to the White House. And then the old people finally get out of bed because they want to meet the president. By the way, um, the grandparents would have all been teenagers. Because in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, we learned that they're all between the ages of 95 and 97, I believe. Hmm. Inconsistency in their ages? Yep. All of a sudden, they were 80 in this book, but they were they were like in their late 90s. Grandpa Joe was the oldest of them. Hmm. Which is funny because the book starts directly from the end of the first book in... <laughs> <laughs> to have that huge plot point at the end of your, like, the sec the final half of your book is this huge plot point about the parent grandparents' age, and then you whiff on a detail that you made a big deal about in the first book. Because <laughs> hmm. he did. He made a big deal about their ages. So, yeah. Willy Wonka gets the old people back to their eight, their proper ages, and he's like, well, get to work. <laughs> now that yep. you're all... Well, let's roll back to appropriate ages, but an Oompa Loompa interrupts him with an invitation from the president. There's a helicopter outside waiting to take them to Washington, D.C. Which is pretty cool. In in thanks of rescuing the 136 souls on board the commuter capsule. I think it was 14 that died by Vermicious Canid. Must have been, yeah. I don't yep. know the was... figures, but they apparently saved 136 souls. So uh, it's at this point when Wonka informs the grandparents that they can't get on the helicopter in a bed. It won't fit like it did in the glass elevator. And because they're going to meet this moron of a president, uh, <laughs> the grandparents are like, we don't need the bed. We are ready to go. Right. How quaint the idea of the honor of meeting the American president is enough to get... These old people out of bed in the same way that uh, Grandpa Joe got out of bed for the factory. Right. It's important enough that when they get up, they actually need to change because they are still wearing their nightgowns, which if they've been <laughs> laying in that bed for 20 years, they would have so many bed sores. They wouldn't even be able to walk. <laughs> well, I'm sure one of Charlie's chores would be to ter turn his grandparents every so often. <laughs> I was going to say, his dad's unemployed now, so might as well. <laughs> right. Not anymore. He's got to get to work in the chocolate factory. It's the honor of working at Wonka's factory. For his child. For his yep. child, yes. Fuck yeah. That's this book, though. That was it. Yeah, yeah. there's not much to it. Um, I would not recommend it. I didn't. I you didn't, wouldn't? did not enjoy it. I didn't. See, I, I didn't like the blatant racism at one point in it because it just, it's- out of time, you know what I mean? But I understand, too, that at that time, <clears throat> anything you would have been reading or watching was liable to have that stuff in it. But for me, like, some of these more... It was weird because they there were long, whimsical explanations or stories about something, and normally I wouldn't like that, but I enjoyed the language and the playful nature of it in this one. So I kind of liked how the big lesson in this book is trust Willy Wonka. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> the first book, like he, he was the kind of crazy and manic and like he was a, an inventive genius. Sure. But this book kind of like put him in a place where like, if you just let him do his thing, uh, he'll get you through it. And he's, he's crazy like a fox, you know? Right. And you're going to be on an amazing adventure along the way. 
Yeah, so yeah. come with him and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. It makes sense. He did say that. He did say that. <laughs> so I would say that if you can look at it for what it is and when it was written and everything, I actually enjoyed this more than uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Mm. Yes, the cultural difference humor didn't age well. Nope. But most of everything else did, I'd say. Yeah, there's just nothing that really drew me in or really kept me wanting to read more about it. I was reading it for the podcast, but there was nothing that was just like making it a page turner. Like I was just like, yeah, I can easily put this down at any time. <laughs> it's not a, it's not hard for me to do. <laughs> I'd be interested to see what would have played out with uh, with meeting the president, their trip to the White House, how that would have looked if there was going to be more uh biting satire on uh america from the outside looking in oh for sure there was gonna be i can only imagine i i actually would like to try and find that first chapter and see what it starts with i know it's probably like josh says just gonna be names being listed but i imagine each of those names is gonna have some relevance no i like i say i found a uh, an interest in just some of that more poetic tongue in in this book. I, th- it was fun. It was fun for me at those points. And it didn't belabor the fat people. And- it didn't. <laughs> it did less. It didn't. It did, it, but he he did the racist thing at the beginning, and it was like, ah, goddamn it, you know, because he really didn't <laughs> belabor anybody other than that, you know, right. But at the same time, like, it was basically limited to how different the mannerisms and speaking sound between cultures. Well, and back again, in 1972, we were in the Cold War still. So Mm -hmm. Russia and the China, I mean, like, of course they were making digs at them and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's (laughs) It's fairly light for being in the Cold War with them. It is. It is. It, it, It doesn't age well, but I can... I get it, and I'm like, okay, I can move on and read about, read these other fun parts. <laughs> like if this amazing <laughs> poem about a girl taking pills and farting her, shit in her <laughs> pants or whatever she does, just about right. killing herself on laxatives. Right. So anything more to add about Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator before we go through our wrap-up? I really don't have anything to add on it now. No, I think that... I think we did it, guys. Yeah, I think we did it. Stay away from vermicious canids. Yes. Beware the vermicious canid. It can be shaped like anything. There is a uh, funny thing I saw on YouTube. There's basically a horror trailer for Charlie and the Glass Elevator, even though it was never made into a film. Somebody made this funny little uh, clip, and it's like, in space, no one can hear you scream, and then you see like the red eyes. It's... It was just a fun CGI video somebody made. In space, no one can hear you scram. <laughs> nice. <laughs> that would be better, yeah. That would be better. <laughs> but yeah, post it. Oh yeah, I can I can put it on the on the Reddit. Post that shit. So big thanks to my friends who chimed in on the uh the elevator question. Yeah, no, that was cool. That's yes. actually cool to have somebody who understands physics answering something like that. However, I think we should try and see if we can't get them uh, the stats on a gla- this glass elevator. It might actually change physics. Yeah, I don't know. It it basically ignores physics. That's <laughs> what it does. <laughs> while using it, using them to uh, to his his advantage at the same time to uh, burn up the canids in the atmosphere while not getting burnt up themselves. They do have retro rockets on the elevator, which they did 
utilize. Yeah, and that that helped it to uh, not burn up in the atmosphere. So, problem solved. Science. Wonka scienced his way through. It makes sense to me. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Checks out. (laughs) The science checks out. (laughs) So, uh, what is our next book? Next, we are going to be returning to the Clearyverse, and we're going to be reading Runaway Ralph, the sequel to The Mouse and the Motorcycle by Beverly Cleary. That Ralph always running away. Yeah, what's he running away from? Where is he running to? Now, was there a, a freaky claymation film based on Runaway Ralph as well? I believe there was. I, yeah, I, I thought so, so too. I think so. I think I that think so. We get to watch that too. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. But yes, Runaway Ralph. I'm I'm looking forward to rereading this. I I know I read that entire series as a kid. So it is a 1988 film. Excellent. And it's yes. free on Voodoo. Ooh, Ooh, nice, sweet. So we're gonna be watching that after we read the book. Yeah, after we read the book. After we read the book. (laughs) For the reiterated episode, which, yes, is us talking about what we already talked about. We go over things we missed, and maybe we get started, and we try to introduce our new things. So not like that is specifically aimed at anybody, but anyhow. I can't think of anybody who would have said something like like that. No, I don't think that anybody will take Uh. anything I just said and say, hey... I think he's talking to me. Wait a minute. Well, all right, fellas. I say it's time to wrap it up. That's coming up next week on Reliterated. And by the way, this this week on Reliterated is a week after the anniversary of Roald Dahl's death. Yes. As we found out. Josh uh, researched it. Roald Dahl died on November 23rd, 1990. I believe that was the date. Correct. So yeah, 30 years ago, 31 years and one week dead. And I think we're better for it. (laughs) Well, at least that much less toxic, but true. Still a whole lot of toxicity out there. I was just telling somebody about the Wade Dahl till valve the other day. So they were talking about shunts that remove fluid from the face. And I was like, maybe that's a Wade Dahl till valve. And they're like, no, it's not. (laughs) And I'm like, I don't know what the thing is. I just know that Ralph Dahl. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Hmm. Anyways, mixed bag that Mr. Dahl. Mixed bag for sure. But anyways... (laughs) <laughs> hey, we're going to be doing the the not piece of shit Beverly Cleary next next week. I think we've followed up Charlie and the Chocolate Factory with Mouse and the Motorcyclist. No. Nope. I don't nope. Know. Different followed chapters. Followed it up with Secret of the Ninja. Because uh, I, rem- I remember us talking about how Beverly Cleary was not a piece of shit. No. She's a good palate cleanser. Yeah. It's going to be nice. <laughs> thought you were going to say she's a good pal. <laughs> she's a good pal to all the children. Palate cleanser. So come and cleanse your palates next week on Reliterated. Until then, support your local libraries and independent booksellers. Give a shit and read some lit. Thanks. Thank you, Shane. Merci beaucoup. This has been Reliterated, a production of the Chocolate Milk Friends. If you enjoy our show, please consider giving us support by subscribing, recommending us to your book-reading, podcast-listening, 90s nostalgia enthusiast friends, and rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts and Audible Podcasts. Those go a long way towards getting us in the ears of new listeners. And don't forget to engage with us on Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, TikTok, Instagram, or YouTube. 
You'll find us at Reliterated on all those sites. Or send us an email at reliterated at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. I am now rolling. I am also rolling. Check. Check. Yes. Keep rolling, 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 rolling. What? <laughs> <laughs> so I know y'all be loving this shit right here. <laughs> L-I-M-P. Biscuit is right here. <laughs> People in the house, throw them hands in the air. Because if you don't care, then we don't care. And we <laughs> would like to pretend like we don't know the words to Biscuit's <laughs> rolling. <laughs> Without any prompts. <laughs> Yet we'll we confuse s- smoke on the water with... <laughs> <laughs> somebody once told me that somebody was going to roll me. I don't know. Let's go.